Azul. Hello, Sice. In this house behind me, the crown now worn by King Louis I was placed upon my head. You are listening to Cool and Unusual Punishment. We are a podcast that deals with Wisconsin true crime and other interesting stories, usually with a Wisconsin slant. Today we are covering something I am not sure what it is. Yeah, I have been falling down a rabbit hole for a couple of weeks now, and you very graciously allowed me to keep you in the dark for pretty much all of it. Yeah. So I'd like to tell you a story, if you will indulge me. Okay. In the fall of 2005, following several years of mounting political unrest, vicious power struggles, and bitter infighting, a kingdom was reaching its inevitable breaking point. A growing number of its citizens had rallied against the nation's founder and ruler, King Robert, labeling him a tyrant. Some renounced their citizenship, others seceded to form rival rogue states. A surge of support for an opposition party was threatening to overthrow control of the government. King Robert, facing a divided kingdom and accusations of abuse of power, finally gave in and abdicated his throne on August 15th. He renounced his citizenship and left behind a fractured and uncertain population. And with that, he declared that his kingdom was finally dead. So this, this sudden and chaotic upheaval happened, as I said, in 2005. It might not sound very familiar to you, which is understandable. In fact, it went largely ignored by the world at large. But today I'd like to spend our episode describing the story of the kingdom and the quietly profound lessons that I learned. And to do that, we have to start, as all great stories do, 25 years earlier in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. In December of 1979, a 14-year-old boy named Robert Ben Madison is sitting in the bedroom of his Milwaukee home. He is intellectual, eccentric, politically minded. He is, by all accounts, a dork. Mm. And he, as so many intellectual teenagers are, he is fed up with what he describes as the corrupt culture of America. And so what he decides he's going to do is start his own kingdom. So he digs up a antique bus driver cap that will serve as his crown. <laughs> he designs a flag and drapes it over his coffee table. And standing on top of it, he delivers his very first speech to the nation declaring his bedroom an independent kingdom and bestowing himself the official title of His Royal Highness King Robert I. He names his newfound nation after a Finnish word for inside the house. He settles on a motto, a man's room is his kingdom. And with that, the kingdom of Talasa was born. Forty years later, last week, I applied for citizenship. So at this point, I would like to take a little detour and explain uh, a small fascination of mine, something that you are somewhat familiar with.
years ago, I, I got introduced to this concept of, uh, of tiny self-declared nations, countries that are declared but not recognized by the international world at large. The term micronation is often used to describe them. It describes a, a pretty large spectrum of, of motivations and degrees of sincerity, should we say. On one end, there are political activists, libertarian types, who are looking to enact a hyper-capitalist utopia, countries like Fredonia. The Fredonian constitution, I have the preamble here, and it reads as such. The aim of all political association is the preservation of the natural and imperceptible rights of man. These rights are liberty, security in person and property, and resistance to oppression. We feel that present-day governments are no longer effective protectors of the rights and liberties of the people. So we hereby establish this constitution to ensure the liberty of the people and let people live free in the principality of Fredonia. There's also another one I have here. It was called New Utopia, and this was a project led by an American businessman by the name of Howard Turney. He had a plan to create artificial islands off the Caribbean, and this would be his, the, the land for his country. That particular country, I think, got swept up in a lot of fraud. It turns out he was kind of ripping a lot of people off and taking their money. But the social model and trade system would have been hyper-capitalistic, modeled after the writings of Ayn Rand, Napoleon Hill, Robert Heinlein. Residents would live in one of the 642 apartments and condominiums that would be built. It would have been a tax haven with all services paid for by a 20% tax on imported consumable goods. And then on the opposite end of this micronation spectrum are the tongue-in-cheek, internet-based uh, sort of elbow jabs at government or politics or just creative projects by teenagers who want to design a flag. These are the sort of people who go to micronation conventions and sign treaties among one another. Those countries tend to exist for about as long as the joke is funny to them. And in the middle, you have pretty much everything else. Uh, there are no shortage of space-based nations. Um, there is a BDSM and Femdom resort in the Czech Republic, which has its own currency, passports, and laws, uh, and calls itself the Other World Kingdom. So you can imagine this, this broad spectrum kind of encompasses uh, pretty much anything you would want or need when you're setting out to found a nation. So, or Kingdom of Talasa. Where does that fall into all of this? Well, it's complicated. So, whenever it was I stumbled upon this website, you can imagine how happy it made me to find out that there is a 40-year-old micronation that claims half of Milwaukee as its land... The website is is full of all the the wink wink nudge nudge comments of of like we're a country like nobody's told us we're not and you can buy stamps and coins still yes but then the more you look into this website uh, you start to notice something else 
It has a culture page that lists almost 30 unique holidays and days of observance. It describes in staggering detail the flag, the national anthem, and various national animals and cuisines and pastimes. What is the national anthem? Is it a song? I can play it for you. In addition to all these little cultural nuggets, it also lists decades of elections and laws and summarizes the nation's dozens of various political parties. Perhaps the most impressive of all these things, an entire unique invented language, which was invented a year or two after its founding by Ben Madison. So he would have been 15 or 16, and he created an entire language for his country. And so I looked at all this stuff and it just made me think like, what is all this shit? Because like a lot of these micronations, the websites look like they haven't changed since 1995. They look like forgotten hobby experiments. And yet underneath it, there is this trove of cultural factoids and history and it made me wonder if this was some teenager's creative writing exercise that they were stubbornly keeping alive for 40 years all these jokes and fake holidays when was the website last updated it has a uh, news bulletin from April, at least. It is still being updated. Okay. If this is some creative writing exercise, and that if somebody's so dedicated to maintaining it for all this time, this make-believe country of theirs, then I wondered, is it possible that it was more sincere than I was giving it credit for? On its face, Talasa seems to be another kitschy, internet-based community role-playing as the country. But turning over every stone seemed to reveal impossibly complicated details and historical notes. Things that would seem to belie the undeniable goofiness of a Milwaukee-based constitutional monarchy and its charmingly dated website. And the more I dug and researched, the more it became clear that the milestone event in 2005, the one I introduced the story with, the abdication of the throne by the country's own founder, was not in any sense like a fun, goofy part of this fictional story. You can go to the Talassan forums where the citizens discuss things, and anytime it's mentioned, it has the sort of tragic overtones of a very bitter and personal event. People would talk about Madison himself as this sort of eccentric, brilliant man who founded the country, but who needed to go because he was out of control, and there's no laughing. There's nothing funny about the way they talk about it. Can I clarify something like, so you're talking about, like when you talk about stuff like this, like these kingdoms and like separate nations, uh, how does this like for real function? Like, let's say these people have this Talasa in Milwaukee. What does that truly mean? And in relation to the city of Milwaukee, does Milwaukee know that this exists do you not 
follow certain laws or or do you not pay city tax because you think you're I just I I don't know all the evidence points to people who are not starting a revolution trying to throw people out of East Milwaukee they describe it as impaired sovereignty which means that they claim this land is their own but are willing to pay taxes and let America take care of the roads and the infrastructure and there's no declarations of war against the American government which is what you would expect. Like, it feels very tongue-in-cheek, very quirky and uh, self-aware, which is the part I understand and would expect. So that's why I found myself getting more and more confused when there were these little suggestions that something very serious is happening underneath the hood. And I couldn't understand if they're the smartest people doing this joke or if they are quietly genuine about what they're doing in a way that is not apparent on the surface. What is it that you're getting out of Tolasa that you aren't getting out of Milwaukee proper? Well, I might be able to explain at least some of the people's motivations. I eventually came across this document. It's called RPATS. The Rise and Fall of the Tolosan Kingdom. It is a 100-page magnum opus written by Ben Madison, man who founded Tolosa as a teenager. It is written in 2005, right after his abdication, and it details meticulously every moment of this nation's history for 20-plus years. Madison describes Talas's infant years when he was the sole citizen and 14-year-old self-crowned king. These teenage years describe himself, this smart, politically-minded dork who's role-playing, seemingly role-playing this country rulership game. The document is played straight up the middle, sincere and as if it understands its own importance, which I, I assume is like, oh, this is part of the joke, right? This is a guy writing the history of his own kingdom. He brings in a few other friends and together playing with politics and ideologies the way you would play like cops and robbers. They declare war on one another. Somebody forms a rival nation, one of his friends, and they like have a snowball fight and like it's called the Cone Wars and it's documented here in this history of Tolosa. So, so far, this all kind of makes sense to me. This is like, this is a very tongue-in-cheek description of this country's history. He'll resign from leadership. He'll change. Uh, it's it's no longer a, a monarchy. It's going to be a socialist utopia. He resigns and then reinstates himself. It doesn't really matter because he's the only one really paying attention to any of this. He starts his own national press and he writes the newspaper for his own country a newspaper that he references in this history as if it's a third party like the newspaper wrote about this event he's self-referencing all his own work it starts to build into this very confusing one-person joke for instance a few years in in 1981 Ben Madison dissolves the entire kingdom because he meets a girl. 
This, of course, is documented by Ben referencing the announcement in his own newspaper. Quote, The most important development in Talas's history would soon occur. The king saying that it involved, quote, A great deal of sadness and apprehension on my part. On Sunday, July 14th, 1981, huge black letters in Statanu, name of the, the newspaper he wrote, intoned in all caps, It is over. The king announced, I'm giving in to my own maturity, and declared that he would abdicate and Talasa would dissolve itself. This, of course, lasts like three days, and then a new era in our paths starts with rejoicing as the king returns to his throne. But then, just when I'm starting to feel like I'm getting a handle on what I'm reading, this really dorky inside joke creative writing project, you start to find these details in it that that kind of leave you stunned and wondering, well, this doesn't seem funny. For instance, he describes the brief ambassadorship of a friend of his, a guy named John. John is a guy he met in school, another politically-minded teenager. Ben describes him as, quote, a raving Nazi racist whose amiable character saved him from total condemnation. This guy joins Talasa and forms a right-wing Nazi political party. Oh, This is when I started to get a little confused and worried that I was getting into something deeper than I realized. I thought maybe, maybe this is a friend of his who is also eccentric and brilliant, and because he's such a high-minded political thinker, he is experimenting with the idea of extremist political ideology. But I would later find out the more I read, it became more clear that that isn't the case. Later on, it is revealed that John's resignation from office uh, in Talasa was over, quote, the king's refusal to despise blacks, with John calling him, quote, a leftist race traitor. And so suddenly it felt like there's something, it doesn't feel like a joke. It feels like politically extreme teenagers, like working something out in in this make-believe country i didn't know where to put comments like that ben madison himself during these teenage years seems to draw some kind of distinction between what he's doing in terms of whether it's serious or whether it's a joke in this role-playing game they're playing he does an interview as king to a friend and then he references this interview in the history, and it reads like this. Does Talasa really exist? Asked Lorenz of the king in one of these interviews. Yes, Ben answered. Talasa exists as a frame of mind, a reference point from which to launch wave after wave of Ben fanaticism. But it is more than a state of mind. It is a piece of territory with a flag. That, in my mind, makes it a nation. Lorenz then asked, if I were to place a toothpick with a flag on it, on a bar of soap, would you consider it a nation? Madison replied, no, I wouldn't. Would you? I'd consider it a trifle odd. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm missing something here. When you form something like this, like this one in particular, what about it? Like, how does this change in how you behave? Like, do you not go to school then? Like, what did they stand for? What's the the idea behind this? Um, I would say throughout all of this, everybody's going to school. Their lives remain about as normal as they would have been 
from the outside, it would probably look like kids who, instead of going to football practice, are going home to typewriters mm-hmm. to to write newspapers about their make-believe country. As to what their motivations are, I can only guess. Like I said, I think it probably has a lot to do with the, the, the sort of eccentric political kids who would find this to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the most part, it seems clear that they're doing this because it's like fun to pretend to have a country. Yeah. At this age, Robert Madison, he has this fascist sort of like experiment he wants to do, probably because it's a one-man country and and you have to have a king. You can't have a democracy when your country is your bedroom. That's what you would expect from a, a teenager. But then he has two or three other friends who want to attack him politically from different angles from people who it seems like are actually political extremists. Suffice to say, all this is in service of what is basically a role-playing game about running a country. Okay. The fact that I read a 100-page manifesto about it 40 years later is the problem I'm trying to reconcile in my head, how one thing could have led to the other. It seems like like at least one very narcissistic teenager who created, in the larger picture of things, quite an unimportant thing. But outside of whatever this weird stuff going back and forth is, like, it seems so small to have such a large investment in it. In it. Like, the fact that it lasted so seemingly long is really strange to me. It's like the longest game of, like, Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, where people who, like, just refuse to back off of this because they all think they're, like, the smartest person in the room. You have the appropriate mindset considering what you've heard so far. But what I just want you to remember is that on one end, there's the early 1980s, these teenagers doing this very unimportant thing that is a ecosystem of like three people. Yeah. Right. And on the other end, there's today, 40 years later, and somehow these two worlds are going to connect to one another. Uh, The kingdom itself quietly continues to lay claim to more and more territory. It moves out out of his bedroom, comes to lay claim to essentially all of East Milwaukee. At one point in 1982, just after he graduates high school, he takes a trip to France and he hires a guy with a boat to drive him out to this uninhabited island off the coast called, uh, I think, Cezambra. But he goes out there and he plants a flag and uh, claims that island for Talasa as well. It goes on into adulthood, like these people go to college. It is described with such detail and such meticulous obsession that you are shocked when you, like, you are reminded every once in a while that this includes like 20 people. Very sincere, seemingly very personal controversies crop up in these years around illegal pocket votes, illegitimate power grabs, and the battle between uh, a completely separate political axis, separate from left versus right, which is something unique to Talasa. It is uh, described as peculiarism versus derivatism. That is, uh, 
the degree to which you think Talasa is a real country or it is a ephemeral blob of make-believe in our collective imaginations and parties will form around whether they think one thing or the other. This hums along for 15 years until 1996 and that's when something measurably impactful happens. In January of 1996, Talasa goes online. They put up a web page and it gets listed in some mid-90s Netscape-like interesting websites. For the first time, it sees an actual population explosion. Suddenly, there's this huge explosion of people who want to become citizens from all around the world. This is a country that has existed for 15 years, and it's been just Ben and his friends and family and some co-workers, and suddenly immigration is a serious issue. Faceless, nameless people around the world want to become citizens. Linguists interested in the Tlaasan language, aspiring politicians looking to participate, and those who simply like the company of other strangers acting out a collective fantasy on the internet message boards. But their presence is seen as a threat. Some of those longtime members of Tlaasa, Ben in particular, they're nicknamed Cybersits, as in cyber citizens. It becomes an understandable, like, struggle because all these people who want to join Tlaasa don't know who Ben Madison is, and they just want to be part of this community. Ben and all his friends who, who find it to be a threatening presence, these internet nobodies who are going to come and take their country away from them. There's a completely understandable power struggle between letting these people in or not and whether they deserve to be. People who are joining from around the world over the internet, to those people, the name Ben becomes synonymous with like tyranny and control because he is, of course, the king of this country and he is responding to these new people with with dismissal. As this conflict grows and there's discussions over what a real Talasan is and who really has claim to what, eventually uh, people start seceding and forming splinter nations. Called, like there's the Republic of Talasa and they're battling against these old growthers who who understand history that these other people don't. In his written account, it, at this point, is impossibly tainted by bias. This is where Madison kind of spirals into the very personal, very bitter. So I, I can't comment on the accuracy of any of these things, but suffice to say there are claims of uh, fictitious identities casting false votes, personal investigators hired to dig up dirt on rivals, real personal investigators investigating real people, uh, accusations of unhinged paranoia all around. Website domains are stolen. When Ben's on vacation, somebody buys every Talasan domain and, and holds it ransom. The forum administration controls where all this government stuff happens are stolen in the dead of night. As silly as it all sounds, it is clear that Ben takes this very seriously when he's writing about it, that this is when the lunatics came. At one point, he brings up his own real-life divorce in this document, in this history, and I will read to you the quote of, of what he says about it. Quote, Ben's divorce was also moving through the U.S. courts. 
the result of his wife's abuse and unfaithfulness. The Libs, Jay Shorten, denounced the divorce as, quote, revolting and disgusting, claimed the divorce arose from Ben's distressing, revolting, and unreasoning hatred, and savaged Ben personally, urging he be ousted from his church. For the record, the official timeline of Talassan events described on the Talassan website puts this event a little differently. Quote, Robert I divorces Queen Jenny with a law so offensive in content that it later becomes the only Talassan act to ever be entirely expunged. I don't know the details of what happened. I just know that this guy's actual divorce became a sticking point in the politics of Talassan history, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. All this brings us back to the tipping point in 2005. Madison describes this in his written account this way. Quote, Tulasa destroys friendships. It destroys relationships. It destroys lives. It was unfair for me to ask people to stay in Tulasa when their participation subjected them to harassment, badgering, online ridicule, threats, public exposure, all in the name of Tulasa. What is it about Tulasa alone? What is it about Tulasa alone that makes it such a bad and unappreciative community? Why are the wicked people drawn to Tulasa? Is there something about micronations that attracts sickos? Or is it the internet where the most tenacious dickhead gets to set the rules? I make no attempt to take his side or otherwise except to say that is his sincere sign-off for this whole history and how he looks at the way it fell apart for him. That is his take on it, which does not describe a hero deserving of sympathy, but it does describe somebody who is unquestionably sincere about what he's been doing for 25 years. The history of the rise and fall of Talasa is one of the most fascinating, obsessive, and uncomfortable historical accounts I've ever read. The increasing bitter self-righteousness leave me with very little sympathy for Robert Ben Madison. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't fully convinced that Talasa is as legitimate a nation as any you could point to on a map. Fifteen years after Ben's abdication, Talasa continues to quietly exist on a corner of the internet. What about this feels like this is a legitimate nation? Like, why do you feel that way? A nation to me seems like it is historical events and growing institutional, like cultural things that are accepted by its people. It seems like Talasa has all these things. And specifically, it has the sort of history that quote unquote, real nations have. They happen slowly and uncomfortably over the course of decades. The cherry on top, the fact that it grew so big that you could be removed from it and it still exists. It, it feels very profound, even in this small world that Talasa exists within. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the one most qualified to make that distinction. If someone was going to help me figure out this riddle, there was only one person most qualified to do it. Yes, I'm uh, the king of Talasa. I have a big fancy title that runs... Uh, King of Tolosa and all its realms and regions, King of Cezambra, but King of Tolosa is the main, the main one that subsumes all the others. His Majesty, John Woolley, 
became a Tlaxcan citizen in 2005 and ascended to the throne in March of 2007. He very graciously agreed to speak with me. We had a sort of constitutional crisis where the the founder of the country, he decided to quit and he resigned as um, a citizen and abdicated as monarch. He lives in Colorado and was an internet citizen and he came in just as all the stuff was coming to a head. His heir was an adopted grandson, but this grandson was only eight years old, I think, and his mother didn't want him involved at all in the the, <laughs> the kingdom of Tolosa, <laughs> thinking we were a bunch of strange people on the internet, which is quite true in many ways. <laughs> there was no procedure for how to elect a new king, and we all sat around on our hands for some months trying to figure out just what are we going to do. And eventually, somebody introduced a resolution to make me king uh, with the approval of the populace. And they pretty much overwhelmingly approved it, so I became king. It became very clear he is a, a, a very polite guy. He's also very well read. He describes him becoming king as they understood they didn't want to have another crazy power-hungry-like dude at the head of this. So the powers of the king were restricted, and specifically he was chosen because he's not like a tyrannical guy. Well, I took a look at things, and I said, you know, we maybe we can move from where we are now to uh, a place where where the king is limited in powers and limited in ambition and isn't trying to to run everything himself but is willing to let people live and and do stuff whether we could convince ben of that or not or persuade him to do that i i wasn't sure i was as surprised as anyone i think when he suddenly you know just said okay that's it i'm i'm quitting i'm throwing the whole thing up so at that point yeah we we were able to establish a monarchy that was not not the enemy of the people, as mm -hmm. it were. I read a few interviews he's given to Wired.com, you know, where the person doing the interviewing is like, tell me what this crazy thing is you guys do. You know, you get to be very tongue-in-cheek. I think what he probably didn't expect was a lunatic coming in from his other side who is convinced it is more serious than he would even admit, which is exactly what I did. I So last night I sat down and I read a copy of uh, Arpats. Am I pronouncing that right? Oh, my. <laughs> that's, that's King Robert's take that, on a whole that was, A great many people <laughs> will tell you that our path is I, stuffed full of incorrect information. Yes. Oh, my, was my reaction upon finishing it as well. He handled it very nicely, and he answered all my questions. You know, we do have a sense of balance. Mm -hmm. Part of the... Part of the fun of this is pretending not to have a sense of balance. I mean, Tulasa is 200 people loosely joined across the entire world. The United Nations hasn't invited us to join or anything, so we take the position that, well, we would think about it if they did, but we don't necessarily want to associate with riffraff like that. <laughs> um, That's easier to understand, right? And it puts it more solidly in a tongue-in-cheek sort of role-playing world which when he told it to me 
was a little disappointing. I was expecting something like some confirmation of what I was thinking. And then slowly I started to realize that there is a even more important distinction that he is making. One of the key lines, it seems to me, in the the old organic law that we lived under for so long was that the Tolosa is a, a community of people having fun by doing the kinds of things that real countries do. It is pretty quirky. You know, it's quirky any way you look at it. I mean, it's kind of crazy in a way to say, you know, the east side of Milwaukee it's... really belongs <laughs> to us. And, you know, the it has been suggested that that's downright insane. But the on the other hand, it's fun to do, and that's why we do it. So that feels like. Well, I was ready to to understand. Like maybe I have this wrong. I've read a crazy person's manifesto, and I am yeah trying to apply it to a bunch of people who have their tongues in their cheeks and are having fun. There is some, a moment where he, not defensively, but pretty clearly and confidently pushes back. Do you have relationships with other micronations? And if so, is it understandable arrogance when you gaze down at these smaller... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. My answer to that has always been Tolosa is not a micronation. Tolosa is a nation, just like India yes, that's, or that's exactly Gambia what. or something. The, now, yes. I mean, I say that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but it's more fun to assert that we are a thing like like Germany or Bolivia than to assert that we're a thing like something that three yes. junior high kids <laughs> did yesterday. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're bigger and older and wiser, and we have a language. We are a real country. It the, we have political parties that actually fight over elections and and power shifts and so on. We have political and legal principles that that are painfully applied to real life situations. I mean, it, we're not just yeah, it, a childish effort. There's things like Sealand that have an actual platform in the ocean that they claim is a yes. is their country and it's outside british territorial waters and so they proclaimed it a country things that are a little more like real countries than just a group of kids mm -hmm. giving each other titles like grand duke <laughs> and you know this yeah. and that you know i don't know what would happen if sealand got in touch with talasa and said hey we want to open diplomatic relations with you. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. But when some high school kid writes and says, you know, exchange ambassadors with me or I will declare war on you. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what difference does that make to me? <laughs> declare war all you want. Talasa, well, the elevator pitch of Talasa looks at first glance as a smarter joke than those because it's it sounds so perfect. The first thing you see is the picture of Ben as a 14-year-old uh, like right. in his uniform and it's like this kid made a country in his bedroom. It's like a it's a perfect story for a, a micronation and then and then you read this history and it's like, "Oh, this isn't this is so much more complicated and and grounded than 
than I think well, yeah, you would ever give it credit for. It is. It's quite complicated and grounded, and people are doing different things with it. Different people like different aspects of it. We have a guy who just was appointed to the uppermost court uh, who just thinks the whole language thing is silly. Other people think the language is like one of the very topmost best things we do. Um, okay, I, my eye is going around the room, and it <laughs> uh, sits for the moment on the crown of Tolosa. Ben had uh, an antique Milwaukee bus driver's hat that he used as the crown of Tolosa for many years. Mm -hmm. And if you see pictures of him in, in royal regalia, he's got this old bus driver's hat on his head from Milwaukee. So, well, when Ben quit, he didn't want to turn over his archives and possessions and this and that, and we needed a crown. So my friend, Manus Hand, Lord Hooligan, got in touch with the Milwaukee Department of Transportation and said, look, we have need of uh, an antique Milwaukee bus driver's hat. Is there any way we can get one? The, they, they wrote back and said, well, actually, we have an extra hat. Do you want it? And he said, well, absolutely, <laughs> yes, we want it. So I have an old you know, 1950s probably bus driver's hat from Milwaukee here. You know, the, we've got ties with tradition. Everything I've been trying to convince you of, how the silly joke can be built on 40 years of established culture, of history, of an entire invented language, to look all that and set it next to the land of chicken nuggetonia, led by a guy who put a chicken nugget on a flag, it feels it's, it's being unfair in some way. And what I discovered was that you can believe it in a way that is not uh, defensive and crazy and allows for uh, tongue in cheek in a way that doesn't sacrifice your belief of the nation, you know, being a real thing and the way I want it to be real. You can believe that and not uh, write a, a fucking crazy manifesto to prove it. Instead of me trying to explain it kind of fumbly, King John has a very succinct way to put this that I think could say it better than I ever could have. You know, one guy a few years ago when a question like this came up, he said, Tolosans, we do not take ourselves seriously, but we take Tolosa seriously. <laughs> and I, I like that. I think I finally found this answer to the riddle, and it took not one, but two kings' perspectives. In fact, these are actual discussions that can happen inside the politics of Tolosa. This is exactly why it exists to be a political social experiment that mm -hmm. anybody can join in and take part in. I would say the main message to deliver isn't some piece of, of wisdom of mine personally, but just to say, if this sounds like the kind of thing you're interested in, where you can you can be a politician and, and exercise real political skills, you know, trying to persuade people to vote for you, in a situation where you might just win, uh, this is a good thing to do. If you'd like to learn more about language in general, and specifically this very lovely, quirky, uh, constructed language, well, this is good too. Um, or if you have ideas for other sorts of things that we haven't done yet that a nation of this size and nature could do, well, go to... Tolosa.com and 
read things. There are links there to the immigration pages. If it sounds like something you'd enjoy, well, we'd enjoy having you. I'm going to post a more extended cut of the interview on, on our Patreon. If you want to just hear more about it outside of my weird, like, psychological battle with, with Talasa as a concept, John Woolley is, is very smart and very, very charming. And just hearing him talk about kind of what happens in the day-to-day of Talasa and, and the kind of people it attracts and what they do is, is really, really fascinating if, if this kind of quirky concept is is attractive to you so i'll i'll post that so you can listen to it okay but other than that we will uh be back next with a more um grounded story that takes place within the borders of uh, america proper so i guess we'll see you then this episode is presented by cool and unusual punishment research and editing by tyler haas music by zave lee sung jay kim jeff harvey Rick Dickard, and AG Music. Special thanks this week to His Majesty John Woolley for speaking with us for this story. You can read more about the Kingdom of Talasa or apply for citizenship at talossa.com. Our website, where you can find links to the documents we referenced as well as other episodes, is coolandunusualpunishment.com. Punishment.com.